have a Supreme Court nominee. We're going to spend some time on that today. But there's also some misunderstandings about the consequences of what's coming with the Supreme Court. So we're going to start there on today's Corey Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. How much do you actually know? about the facts of the case and the consequences of Roe versus Wade. If you don't know a lot, you're about to learn a great deal. You're listening to The Corey Truax Show. Thank you for being with us on Christian Talk 660, 92.9 FM. Also over at SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcast, Anchor, lots of different places you can get the show. Hope you will. And check out CoreyTruax.com. Connect on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all of those things. And maybe most of all, my name is Corey Truax, helping secure the blessings of liberty since 1986. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and you are invited to Beachwood Church any given Sunday morning at 1030. We meet at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville. Here is something I noticed regarding the arguments surrounding the replacement of a Supreme Court justice coming up here soon, with Anthony Kennedy going down and having a Supreme Court justice to replace him. Jeffrey Tubin, who is CNN's primary legal analyst, he's definitely a left-winger. He's a guy out there on the left. He's a liberal, uh, thinks about the Constitution as a living document that changes with the times. I mean, he was on a CNN saying, we are just years away from Roe versus Wade being overturned and uh, all kinds of gun restrictions that are, that are going to be uh, repealed because the Supreme Court's going to be that much more constitutionalist, or he would just call it conservative, to which I, I hear his analysis and go to from your lips to God's ears you know may that be the case and, and there was a great deal of wailing and gnashing of teeth out on the left when Anthony Kennedy announced and regarding this nominee that as I said last week I never want to be the guy that just dances around and is happy about someone else's anguish so I don't want to do that but it did occur to me occur to me that part of the reason for the anguish is misunderstanding. It's not actually understanding the consequences of the Supreme Court and what might happen, especially regarding Roe versus Wade, because that's one of the big ones. You're hearing it from Susan Collins. You're hearing it from voices like Jeffrey Tubin that this landmark abortion case, that which everyone thinks made abortion so legal everywhere, that is what could be overturned. And so I want to talk about that this morning, about Roe versus Wade, how it was decided, the background and facts of that case, but then also what it might look like. What happens if an abortion case gets in front of a newly compacted, newly comprised Supreme Court and it goes the way of the conservative, of what I would consider to be the constitutional viewpoint on that matter. So I'm going to do that, but first, really quickly, I would give this humbly, as a humble lesson to those who are not my political compatriots. Those of you that are on the left, I know that listen to the show. One of the things I think you learned from this administration, even, and some of the executive active actions taken, is that you liked executive power when your guy had power, and now you don't like executive power when some other guy that you don't like has it. For all sides, so even the Trump people who like executive power when Trump has it, but you didn't like it when Obama has it, ha- had it, The lesson for both of you, but specifically for the left right now, is the problem isn't Obama or Trump. The problem is executive power. The problem isn't that the 
let me. I'll just say what the problem is. The problem is investing so much authority and significance into one position. We're all out of whack in our checks and balances. With with the concept of all the different governments we have, your mayor should matter, your governor should matter, your county councils should matter, and we've made the president see, not the president, not the not the personalities therein. We've made the president see the office so significant that everyone freaks out over who's president. If the presidency would be put back in its constitutional box, everyone could freak out less. But equally on this, this matter of the Supreme Court, for those on the left who are freaking out, this should tell you something. If you are so terrified of what the Supreme Court might do, maybe the Supreme Court is too powerful. Maybe you should pursue judicial restraint. When the articles when the articles of the Constitution were laid out, they were laid out, I believe, by the founders to show significance. Yes, the branches are co-equal, but there's a reason Congress is laid out in Article 1, and the presidency is laid out in Article 2, and the, the judiciary is laid out in Article 3, because Congress is supposed to be the most important of the three. It is the one closest to the people, the one most accountable to the people, and it is also the least significant in our lives. We consider the president to be the most significant, the judiciary to be the second most significant, Congress does barely anything anymore, and we have thrown the actual structure of government on its head. And so to the left, one of the reasons you're freaking out is a consequence you have caused yourself. You made the Supreme Court more significant than it was ever decided to be. You turned the Supreme Court into a legislative arm where they're making law and changing law. That's on you. That's a left-leaning thing. So join me. Join me in putting the presidency, putting the judiciary back into its constitutional box, making Congress the most significant of the three branches of government, and maybe everybody can stop freaking out so much about who the president is and who the next Supreme Court justice is. All right, with that, one of the things the left is most freaking out about is specifically Roe versus Wade. And that term has just become uh, equally, just means it just means abortion. I think there is a, a level of ignorance. I don't mean that in a insulting way. I mean it in its denotative sense. It just means to not know about what Roe versus Wade actually said, what the ruling was, from whence it came, and then the consequences of what happens when it get, if it gets overturned. I had that question in my personal life. People asked me in person, so what happens? You know, wouldn't it be awesome if Roe versus Wade was overturned? And it was obviously clear to me that people on my side of the abortion debate that believe what, what is happening in the womb, scientifically, without any need of getting theological about what's happening in the womb, that that's a, a human life and deserving of protection, deserving of rights. That side, I think there's some folks who are confused that think, hey, if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, that abortion goes away forever. And so definitively, that's not the case. I need you to know that. And then there are those, I think, on the other side that go, well, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortions, they think the same thing, are going to be illegal immediately, and that's not what happens either. So, let's get started. Roe versus Wade was a Texas that got, was, excuse me, was a case that got started in Texas with a lady named Norma McCorvey. She is now a pro-life activist. I, she, I don't think she would mind me using this language. She was manipulated. She was manipulated by two attorneys in Houston that were abortion activists, feminist activists, to let them make her case. To to let her, uh, we didn't know her name at the time, Her that's why it's Jane Roe, it's Roe versus Wade. The Roe is just the female version of John Doe. They took her case as the, as the test case to the courts, because Texas had banned abortion, 
and except for life of the mother exception. And she was a young girl wanting an abortion. She couldn't get one in Texas. And she actually, she'll say now she felt manipulated the entire time. She was quite young. She was taken advantage of. The Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade was manipulated and taken advantage of by powerful, well-educated people to push their own agenda. In any event, they, she wanted a abortion, couldn't get one. The attorneys filed the case. So the Supreme Court finds that there was a right to privacy that would invalidate Texas's ability to restrict abortion. Before you can understand that, you actually have to go back and get where they created this right to privacy. It's from a case called Griswold versus Connecticut. Stick with me. Years, decades before Roe versus Wade, there was a situation wherein, in Connecticut, a single woman wanted to get birth control. At the time, in Connecticut, that was illegal. You could not be a single woman getting birth control. And so she sues to go get birth control. What the Supreme Court found is this, uh, this opinion from Justice Douglas that in law school settings and in law settings is one of the more controversial phrases in any given Supreme Court opinion, and that phrase was this, that there were emanations from penumbras. Yeah, I know. What does that mean? The idea is this, if we can try to simplify, that there are not that there are rights that exist for an American that are that are not expressly written in the language. That by emanating from penumbras, by almost reading between the lines, there are implied rights, things that are that that are implied. And so, what Justice Douglas wrote in that Griswold versus Connecticut case is that if you piece together part of the Fourth Amendment, which is unreasonable search and seizure and he pieced together some others, he said there are these things called, quote, zones of privacy. Now, that's not in the Constitution. It didn't appear before Griswold versus Connecticut. But the Supreme Court just created, well, there are some places, if you piece together what the, what the Constitution means in between the lie in the lines, there's zones of privacy wherein the government cannot interfere. It's too private for the government to do anything. So they they decided this single woman obviously can get her birth control. Now, that was the right decision. The right outcome of that case is, of course, a single woman should be able to go purchase whatever birth control she wants because she's free to do so. It's not the federal government or state government or any local government's business. However, the way they got there was wrong, and it created these, quote, zones of privacy. So then you take that over to Roe versus Wade, and essentially what the court found was abortion is inside the zone of privacy. This right to privacy that Griswold versus Connecticut created out of thin air with its enumerations from penumbras that abortion fit inside that. And then they decided this. A lot of folks don't know. What they decided was the government can't regulate abortion in the first trimester. It should occur to everybody, we, there's plenty of states with 20-week abortion bans. Well, plenty. There's several states that have a, a ban on abortion past 20 weeks. And those aren't being challenged in court. Why? Because they're constitutional. Now, so so what's the scenario here? What's the scenario as we get into a new court, if someone brings an abortion case, some of the potential consequences? Well, let me give you some scenarios. Let's say somebody passes a 10-week abortion ban. So after 10 weeks, if a child is more than 10 weeks in gestation, you know, it's out in South Dakota, they passed this law. In South Carolina, we passed that law. 
and the ACLU and some other groups, they challenged the constitutionality of that law because 10 weeks is inside the first trimester. And it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says a state can do that. Essentially, that does overturn Roe versus Wade. The state has, a state has the ability, has the right to restrict abortion even in the, in the first trimester. However, does that mean the end of abortion? Well, no. It just says a state can't, or excuse me, a, a state can restrict it. It does not mean they must restrict it. Therefore, in California, in Massachusetts, in New York, in Vermont, there will still be plenty of access to abortion. In states like South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, we'll, we'll, we'll all ban it probably outright, except for cases of where, the, where we're in danger of losing the mother. And so I have a couple other thoughts on this. We'll get into the Supreme Court nominee as well, but I, I want to finish off some thoughts here on the meaning of Roe versus Wade and thinking about abortion in the new court. We'll do that when we come back on the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Look for me, Corey Truax. Find me there. And if some of you, if some as some of you are want to do, you can email the show at Corey.truax. Corey.truax, T-R-U-A-X, at N-G-U dot E-D-U. So I'm trying to make sure that everybody on every side understands the consequences of a newly comprised Supreme Court on Roe versus Wade. Because I got this question a couple times, and more than I got the question, I was just seeing in social media a misunderstanding that if Roe versus Wade is, quote, overturned, abortion becomes illegal everywhere. It's not true. It just means in the states that don't want to have it, uh, that's, that states basically have the power to regulate abortion how they want to, that there's not a guaranteed access. And it's a very little... Uh, there's very few scenarios in which I think Roe would be outright overturned. There's that one scenario I gave you, that if someone decides to pass a like, 10-week abortion ban, the Supreme Court could say, yeah, well, even in the first trimester, the state now has the ability to regulate. If someone tried to do a, an amendment to their state constitution, a sanctity of life amendment, that defined life as beginning as conception, and then the ACLU or someone like that challenged it in court, yeah, maybe the Supreme Court goes and over uh, and says that is a, a thing a state can do. But even if that's true, if it's just, a state can do that. A state can have a constitutional amendment that says that life begins at conception for purposes of all their state laws, and the Supreme Court says, yep, you're allowed to have that, then I guess that does overturn Roe in the way that, so states can do what they want, but abortion will not be illegal everywhere. So for everyone to get their expectations straight, you need to know that, and maybe even try to bring down the temperature of the country. I think there's too, too few people with that interest. There's too few people with an interest of bring down the temperature, have fewer people freak out. Because the bottom line for media, for media, it is it is a more acceptable thing, it's a more appealing thing to people to get them fired up. If you're on the left, fire up lefties. If you're on the right, fire up the folks on the right. Even if you have to be opaque or ambiguous or inaccurate to do it, just fire up the people because that's where the audience is. I have an interest in lowering the temperature. And one of the ways that we can lower the temperature is with facts. You know, I've, I'm going to have one little tangent here. We are going to get to the Supreme Court nominee. I, I had a conversation here recently with someone at work. I can't remember the thing they were scared of. I think it might have been, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, the, you know, these big thunderstorms that we have in the southeast every afternoon. You know, these, the humidity builds, pressure builds, the sky explodes for about 20, 30 minutes, just 
really violent storms. And she said she, she, she a young girl who doesn't use the phone during a lightning storm because at some point in her life, someone has given her the impression that lightning strikes, could come to the phone, and hurt her in some way. And so I go through the work of, well, you know, the, the handset you're holding is plastic, and even if that could have ever happened, the technology that we do have now, like, it is literally no danger. Not to mention, even if it were possible, if it were a physical possibility, the likelihood is so low, it's nothing to worry about. It's not a thing about which you should ever be thinking. You should use time uh, in your own head to think about other things. I told the story before about uh, someone I know that said they were scared of driving on the interstate because all the big rigs and it just seems chaotic, it's too fast. And I explained uh, that actually it's the safest place to drive. The fatality per accident on the on the interstate is higher than anywhere else. So if you do have an accident on the interstate, you're more likely to die. But most of the of the accidents we have are not on interstates. I think actually the number one is still parking lots or getting in and out of parking lots is the time it's most likely you're going to have some kind of incident in your car. And that person said to me the words, oh, you can't convince me. And so I was telling this to this other other girl as well about the the lightning in the phone. I would say to the people who were scared of sharks and shark attacks, there is, there's got to be a thing that happens where facts beat out the fear. So the Bible is first correct in that what casts out fear? Well, perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. The Bible doesn't say it's the only thing that casts out fear, though. One of the things that should also cast out fear in us, even regarding this Roe versus Wade thing, no matter what side you come along, one of the things that should cast out fear is facts. That once you know information for sure, you know the consequences of what the case might be, the different scenarios that could come to, to come to the court, what's going to happen the days after the Supreme Court makes a given decision. If you have the facts, it should be able to help bring down the temperature in the country when it comes to how divided we are. So let's be people that are always seeking out the facts. And speaking of facts... It is now a fact that Judge Kavanaugh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh of the 5th District Court of Appeals, has been selected by the President of the United States as his choice to replace Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court. I want to talk about this, I think, in two categories, maybe a third if we have time. I first just want to talk about Kavanaugh, the consequences. I want to talk about Brett Kavanaugh, and then the, the President and how I think he arrived at this decision. So, starting with Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, he was my sixth choice. Uh, you say sixth, there's only four finalists. Yeah, I know, but I was always holding out for Mike Lee or his brother Thomas Lee. Uh, but of the the four names in the end, really only Hardiman was someone I had below Kavanaugh. I'm going to give you some of my concerns on him, but let me start here. He needs to be confirmed. And he needs to be confirmed before o- the first week of October when the Supreme Court begins to its next session. He wasn't who I wanted but Brett Kavanaugh, listen to me, will be awesome. He is going to be, I think, as good as Gorsuch on the Supreme Court for many years to come. And so this negativity I'm about to give you, don't let that, be, don't, don't hear that as he shouldn't be confirmed. Like the American Family Association, who might have the largest platform in media to communicate with evangelicals. They came out the night of his confirmation and said, we're going to oppose his confirmation. I think they might have turned around on this by now. Even in the moment where I was disappointed, I thought the American Family Association was going too far. Yes, it could have been better. Yes, there could have been a better choice. This is a fine one. 
If your interests are for originalism and textualism, and you want to get back to the framers' intention of the Constitution and all its amendments, oh, man, Kavanaugh's fine. There were just better choices. And so, don't hear anything I'm about to say as don't confirm him. I'm just giving you some cautions. So Even this week, if you follow me on Anchor or any of the uh, other podcasting apps where sometimes I do bonus material, what I published the day after the confirmation on, I guess that was Tuesday, I said, let's confirm Kavanaugh quickly, but cautiously. So I I don't think we're going to find anything that should mean he shouldn't be confirmed. But hey, let's do so with eyes wide open. And so I came up with an acronym. These were my concerns. I'll give you an acronym for my concerns, and then we'll we'll work through them. So the acronym I came up with was QUESO. That is not the the delicious cheese. I mean that that you can get at a Mexican restaurant, but C-A-S-O, it's not a real word, just an acronym I came up with. And here, these were where I landed on the uh, different issues. Uh, So, in QUESO, C, the contraception case. I I was a little bothered that in Kavanaugh's, uh, in one of his opinions, he wrote that the government had a compelling interest in providing contraception to people or even forcing businesses to provide it. Now, in the case, he found the right way. He did find that the government couldn't do what it was doing regarding a contraception thing. But the reasoning he used to get there wasn't what I would preferred. So, But I want to be clear on this. Josh Kimberl on this same network, on WLFJ, he did a very good job of going through some of these concerns and saying, but he found the right way. He made the right decision. He ruled in favor of the right side. And Josh is right, and I want to emphasize that as well. Yes, Kavanaugh got the decision right, but the reasoning he used troubled me. That he would still, uh, he would allow, in the opinion, for the idea that the government might have some compelling interest in providing contraception to people. So that's the C in queso. Uh, A, the abortion case. There was the case of a 16, 17-year-old girl, she was here illegally, that wanted an abortion. And the government was not going to provide that abortion, and so some attorneys sued on her behalf. And instead of finding, in his opinion, like another judge on the same, the, the, the judge on the same circuit, the Fifth Circuit, wrote in his opinion that Roe versus Wade in the uh, what, in what was decided there does not guarantee this girl her abortion. Instead of going that direction, he says, "No, you don't. We don't have to provide an abortion, but it's because she's illegal. Her her immigration status is what's going to keep her from that." And so, did he make the right decision? He sure did. He he, he came down on the right side. I just don't like the. The reasoning. I would have liked to have seen in his writing a different reason for coming to that decision. So there was the contraception case, there was the abortion case, there was what I call the standing case. So C-A-S-O, standing case. He, as a judge, granted standing to an atheist guy who was suing over the Pledge of Allegiance having the term under God in it. So usually in a court of law, you have to show standing. You have to show damages. You have to show that something bad happened to me. I've been damaged by this law or this situation. And so I, sh- I have a right to be here in court arguing my case. I would say to the individual who just doesn't like that under God is in the pledge, you don't have standing. And Now, if someone's making you say the pledge, like forcing you to say the words. If someone's forcing you to put your hand over your heart or some kind of punishment comes with that, if you don't. If someone's making you stand up for it, like you have the, you have every right to sit there during the Pledge of Allegiance if you want to. If someone's trying to force you, then yeah, you have standing. You've been damaged. Your liberty's been damaged. But just the fact that the Pledge of Allegiance contains the words under God, that causes you no damage whatsoever. You don't have standing. But Brett Kavanaugh found that that person had standing, and then he, f- he would find right in the case. It makes the right decision. I just 
don't think he should have given that guy standing. Standing. Uh, so that's CASO contraception. That's uh, I'm doing this from my head. In my that's always dangerous with no notes. Uh, so the contraception case, the abortion case, the standing case, and then it was the Obamacare case. Yeah, that's my O. So this is the this is the worst one to me. The worst one for Kavanaugh is he was the one that first construed the idea that the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act, so in Obamacare, where the rule was you buy insurance or you get fined. So you buy the thing we tell you to buy, the federal government says, or we're going to fine you money. Now, to me, on its face, that is absolutely unconstitutional. The federal government does not have the power or the authority to force you to buy something and punish you if you do not buy that thing. But what his uh, his his ruling was, was as a judge, I don't have the right to decide a tax thing. I think that's actually a law that in the Fifth Circuit, because of where it is in D.C., when it becomes a tax issue, it's got to go somewhere else. Like It's got to go on up to the Supreme Court. And so he just says, I don't have jurisdiction. I don't have the power to decide this because it's a tax. And so it's got to move on. And as we all know, John Roberts then used that. John Roberts then used that reasoning that, well, the fine isn't a fine. The fine is a tax. And because it's a tax, the government has power to tax. Kavanaugh was the one to first write out that language. That troubles me. Because it's not a tax. It was a fine. You know how I know? Because they kept saying it. Because one of the big things about the Obamacare was it wasn't a tax increase. It's not a tax increase. And then we would say, well, yeah, it is. It's a tax increase. Because if you don't buy insurance, you get your taxes increased. And those who don't aren't buying insurance, to avoid the tax, might actually buy insurance. That's sort of like a tax. You're being forced into buying something you don't want. We kept saying, yeah, that's like a tax. And they were yelling back at us, no, it's not. It's a fine. And then the Supreme Court says, well... If it's in Kavanaugh as well, well, I shouldn't throw Kavanaugh in on this. Kavanaugh just decided it is a tax, and therefore I can't rule. And then the Supreme Court comes by, comes back and says, well, we're going to make it a tax. We're just going to turn it into a tax so we can keep the law constitutional. So that's my issue. My issues with Kavanaugh. That's my queso uh, for, for Kavanaugh. The less, much, much less delicious queso, and also improperly spelt. So that's the contraception case, the abortion case, the standing case, and the Obamacare case. Now, um, for Kavanaugh's defenders, I think they have some good points. I think what they would argue, and what I've had argued to me, is that the the proper thing for Kavanaugh to do, is, if, if we don't want him to be an activist jurist, is to accept Roe versus Wade in that, uh, in that abortion case with the illegal immigrant girl. Just accept, well, the, the Supreme Court has decided that there is this uh, this this access to abortion that's that's guaranteed in certain situations, so I I cannot find that that's the problem. But what I can find is the problem is her immigration situation, and so he gets to the he gets to the decision that is the right thing to do and the constitutional thing to do, but he's just doing it in ways that are trying to be more cautious. I can accept that to to again the extent I want him to be confirmed. Don't hear those four criticisms as. The desire for him not to be confirmed. He should be confirmed, I hope, quickly. Get him through this process and get him on the Supreme Court. Uh, beyond that, on Kavanaugh, there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, the guy's got a ton right in in ways that you might not usually get things uh, from Republican judges. Like, he seems to have a a particular ire for the administrative state. You know, one, one of the worst things that's happened in government over the last hundred years is what what we really have created is a fourth branch of government where the EPA and all the alphabet soups of agencies in D.C., these executive branch agencies, they're the ones that really make a lot of the law. A lot of laws get written now 
as in it authorizes the executive branch agencies to come up with the regulations and the rules. It was really incredible, going back to the Affordable Care Act, how much that language was used. So they would just authorize these, this fee schedule, this, this tax structure, these uh, insurance regulations will be as determined by the D Department of Health and Human Services. And so they just gave a lot of structure over to the administrative state, what I'm calling the fourth branch of government, all these agencies. And people like Kathleen Sebelius, who no one ever voted on, she's, I mean, I guess no person ever voted on, it was just Barack Obama uh, appointed her and the Senate confirmed her, she gets to write all, and her people get to write all the regulations. They get to write, on, write all the rules. And it seems like Kavanaugh is not just cautious, but really antagonistic to how much this is happening. Congress loves that. Congress loves being able to say, after something, uh, some kind of rule or regulation is unpopular, well, we didn't do that. And the president can say, at some, some level, well, I didn't do that. That was the administrative state. It's someone else's fault. They, just, they love the lack of accountability. Congress loves having that cushion in between where it wasn't our fault. So we're just going to write the authority to someone else. And Kavanaugh, specifically with a lot of environmental regulation, that's something that he has been hostile towards, that when a group will challenge the EPA's ability or their right to and challenge their authority to write a certain rule. Kavanaugh has been quick to say, you don't have that authority. If Congress wants to do it, they can do it, but you can't do that thing in the administrative state. So, you know, that's something that even sometimes Scalia was a little testy on. Sometimes even Scalia himself would, would not have enough hostility, in my opinion, towards the administrative state writing the rules. So, that's Kavanaugh. Certainly, we go in cautiously. We go in eyes wide open, but I think he's going to be fine. I, the night of the appointment, uh, or the nomination, I said he was a B-. minus. As time goes by and I learn more and get some nuance, I'm moving him on up. He's like an A-, minus, maybe even an A. Like He's a good appointment. I'm grateful for it. And well, that's all. I, I guess that's all I'll say on Kavanaugh, the actual nominee. Now, the president. Here is, uh, here is where I I thought in a weird way, some of his personality was going to come into my own advantage, because again, Kavanaugh's great, but there were some better options, and not for the conservatism of it. Did I? I, I let me let me back up. I thought I might get my favorite choice, not because the president is conservative, but because of something the president lacks. The president lacks an aversion to risk. So if someone is trying to caution, hey, don't don't choose this person, she's too controversial, she's too risky, he doesn't care. And I thought that was going to work to my advantage to be able to get the one I wanted the most because he's not risk-averse. And so we ended up on, with Kavanaugh, you end up getting the nominee that I think you would have gotten from a President Marco Rubio. You would have gotten this nominee from President Scott Walker. You would have gotten this nominee from President Bobby Jindal. Any of those guys would have done the same thing. And so, there. and here's why. Those guys would have chosen the safe person. Kavanaugh is the less aggressive, very safe option. He's got the 12 years on the district Supreme Court, uh, excuse me, the, the district court uh, in the 5th district, which is thought of as the Supreme Court junior. It's like the Supreme Court minor leagues. If you're there in D.C. on that court, you adjudicate of some of the most important cases, and so this is the this is a training ground for Supreme Court justices, and also safe in this way. Kavanaugh was one of the foot soldiers 
fighting the battle in Florida in 2000 over hanging chads and what was going on in trying to decide that election in Florida in 2000. He was a, a, one of the main attorneys in the Bush administration. He has this long Republican pedigree with a great resume, and he's also very, like, this. Uh, he's he's got this uh, very re- traditional Republican, white-collar, Ivy League thing. That's Kavanaugh. And so, there was, and I think he would have been nominated by most Republican presidents because of that. Because he is so vanilla, he's so safe, that's the way to go. And so Trump did something he's not typically, he doesn't typically do. He showed risk aversion. Instead of doing the bold thing or the, the, the thing that would be risky, he just chose the safe way out. And in that way, kind of just looked like Jeb Bush. We got what Jeb Bush would have done. This would have been the nominee Jeb would have got us. And that surprised me. In a, in a very weird way. So i got to take this last break of the show. When we come back, I have some more thoughts on the president, and if I can, some things to get to about us just as a people as we are uh, now going into this confirmation process for Judge Kavanaugh. We'll be back with more of the Corey Truax Show in just a moment. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us as we are going over the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. If you missed any of that, you can go back and get it on demand at SoundCloud, CoreyTruax.com, iTunes, Anchor, and lots of other places. Also on Spotify now, by the way, the Corey Truax Show available on Spotify. For all you youngsters out there that do the streaming, you can go find the show on Spotify. All right, so uh, we already went over Kavanaugh and his his background. I'm, ex- I'm excited about him. want to get him confirmed quickly. But now the president's motivation. So he surprised me by, by being a risk-averse person. So let me give you some advantage on this. I, I do think it's probably getting inarguable that the administration and the policy that has emanated out of it has been the second most conservative in my lifetime. I was born in 86. So Reagan's administration being the most conservative, that... The policy coming out of this administration, not the ideology of the president, but the policy coming out is the most conservative, and partly more conservative than you might have gotten from more traditional Republicans for this reason, because the president is not risk-averse in his nature. So give me, I'll give you two examples of this. The reason you don't get... I understand Scott Pruitt's gone now. Scott Pruitt was the very controversial head of the Environmental Protection Agency, got into a lot of scandal... But Scott Pruitt was running the EPA and doing an incredible job of wrecking all of the really economic hampering regulations the Obama administration had put in. And he only gets that job because Trump is not risk-averse. Scott Pruitt was always going to... He was going to do what he was going to do. He was going to get into that corruption. He was going to be controversial. He was going to cause a lot of consternation. And so the Jeb Bushes and the Marco Rubios and the Scott Walkers of the world, they don't want that. They look at a Scott, they look at a Scott Pruitt and they go, I don't want those fights. I don't want to have to do it. And so you go with a safer pick. And so you got an actually more conservative outcome because the president was risk averse. I think you get the same thing with moving the embassy, the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I think only Ted Cruz would have done that. Everyone else has said it for a long time, but why don't they do it? They end up getting into power and finding the risk. All the people you'll upset, all the people that don't like it. And so then they end up not doing it. Why? Because they're risk-averse. Politicians are. Politicians are risk-averse people. And so I thought we were going to get to the Supreme Court justice and get the bold pick. Get Amy Coney Barrett. I was just calling her Judge Barrett. You might get a, 
Kethledge had a couple problems too, but I think Kethledge was a little bit more conservative than Kavanaugh. And I even was thinking, why not Mike Lee? You know, why not Thomas Lee? These guys that, I mean, that live and breathe, have the Constitution flowing through their bones, who can quote most of the Constitution and its amendments from their, like, from memory. Like, let's let's get one of those guys. And so when you have this expectation of, well, you know, his his whole life he may have not known anything about the Constitution. In the campaign, he may have said his liberal sister would make a great Supreme Court justice. That might have come out of his mouth. But now he's married to this list, and if he's going to be his typical self, be bold, be not risk-averse, I had some expectation that I was going to get something awesome. And I am, guys, Kavanaugh was great. It just surprised me that the safety came. It surprised me that Jeb Bush seemed like he was president for a little while. Like it was, it was that kind of pick. It was a fine pick. It just wasn't the big, bold one that I thought he could have gotten. So another thing on the president is I think Steve Dace, who if you don't listen to Steve Dace, you should listen to Steve Dace. That guy's awesome. I think he made a good point, too. This should uh, further solidify that the president doesn't have interest in ideological battles. He definitely likes fighting the left, and I think obviously there's some advantages in that, that they've made an enemy of him, and he likes to fight them, and there's some benefit that comes to conservatives from his fighting. But he does not have an ideological fight. That wasn't what he wanted to do. He can still fight the left, make the left mad, and make his enemies angry and all that through nominating Kavanaugh, but it's not an ideological fight. So for a Ted Cruz, for maybe a Rand Paul, there's an ideological fight that takes there uh, that's, that's deep and philosophical and meaningful. It's not just teams. So this conflict coming up on the Supreme Court confirmation, this is primarily about teams. This is just the uh, red team versus blue team thing. This is not the deeper meanings. And so I guess that's my only thoughts on the president uh, in this. I I am grateful that that he's going to be on the court. I think Kavanaugh is going to be great. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that we're, there's going to be two really solid justices come out of this administration. And I could have never, I could have never imagined that was going to be the case. I guess there should be some thanks given out there to the people who kind of forced that list on the president. Uh, guys like Rick Santorum was one, and there's a couple others that when they dropped out, Mike Huckabee, uh, when they dropped out of the race, and Trump was trying to get their endorsement. I, I think Ben Carson did this. I think Ben Carson was part of this too. And there were some others working behind the scenes with the Trump administration, where, or excuse me, the Trump campaign. He wanted their endorsements, and the trade-off was only if you give us guarantees on the judges. Like, you actually have to publish a list. And it became, he he didn't want to do it for a while, if you recall, but then he published a list. These are the ones I'm going to get. And uh, from what I understand, Jim DeMint played a very heavy role in creating that list. And so for those that made that bargain, again, I'm, I wouldn't have done it. Just I, have, I just had I had some issues with playing those games. But those that made the list and made the bargain, it's working out for them, and it's it's working out for me in my favor as well. And there might be need be some thanks in line for those folks for having the uh, for having I guess the savvy. I, I don't like playing those games. I like right and wrong. This is what I, those are the that's the world in which I live. I live a right and wrong world, not. What can I get world, and uh, and how do we maneuver these things world? Okay, so that's that was the big story for the week. I, I think I do want to come back here in a couple weeks. We're about to do sports here in a moment, and talk about why uh, a little more, a little bit more deeply, why the abortion 
thing matters so much to the left, why it's such a big deal to them. Uh, because I think there's something spiritual there, something deeply philosophical. Uh, so we'll probably get to that next week. All right, that's all the time we have for serious stuff. Let's move on to sports. Are you ready? We're returning this week for what we should be doing at this time, and that is the sports segment. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. The official sport correspondent of the show. We were right about LeBron James from last week. Yeah, if you're listening to the show, or you know, however you listen to it, you know, when we talk about, well, we think he's going to go to Los Angeles, blah, 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 and you're like, yeah, you idiots, this already happened. But full <laughs> disclaimer here, we record the show on a Sunday. We do. And you listen to it six days later on a Saturday. I got a uh, a DM right. uh, on Twitter that was, hey, man, I'm listening to the show. LeBron already chose, didn't you hear? Like, yeah. We recorded it on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that was last week, pal. And so, <laughs> and we weren't the only ones. I think a lot of folks right. saw that coming. Right. Um, they're not... Are they the are they a top four team in the West with the Lakers? I don't think so. Me either. They haven't proven anything. No. Nah. Plus, his supporting cast is not very strong. Um, I think Ball is a dumpster fire, but I saw that when he came out of college. I wouldn't touch that kid you know, with a 10-foot pole. You were an actual athlete. Did you ever have an opponent that was a real on-the-court jerk to you? Yeah, all of them. Okay. So, yeah, you had a lot of them. <laughs> The um the Lance you know, Lance Stevenson playing with LeBron James. Yep. Lance Stevenson have, having really been a jerk to LeBron James, yeah. blew in his ear. Yeah. How do you play with a guy? But who, here's the thing about Lance Stevenson though, he did all the extracurricular nonsense, but he was a very good on the ball LeBron defender. Yes. One of the best in the league. Yes. And it when I first heard the of the move, I was like, What? And then it, I was like, Well, you know, LeBron has always been a semi GM in the league anyway, wherever yes. he goes. Seems to me strategically, it makes sense for him to get Lance Stevenson on his team, so he doesn't have to deal with him in the playoffs or wherever. That's true. Um, you know, w- don't deal with the hassle. When you, and also picking up R- Rondo. Yep. While I don't think they're a, the, a top four team in the West, I think they're a very, very good defensive team. Yeah, I think so. Because Stevenson and Rondo are excellent defenders. Right. Needless to say, of, Le- of LeBron James and Lonzo Ball is way better on defense than he is on offense. Right. So if you're going to try to build the team differently because thus far in LeBron's career it's been find me a bunch of shooters right. I'll create and that's what the Lakers are lacking is the shooters yeah there's none you have to be able to shoot the ball in the west I yep. mean you have Golden State you have Houston you have all those guys what are they going to do how are they going to score uh, and well, I think the, the yep. strategy may be let's be a defensive team and let's try to limit the other team's scoring well if you're um and if I were at a GM right now the way that Houston is comprised and Golden State was comprised that's my plan too right because you're not going to outshoot them I'm not going to out Houston, Houston, or out Golden State, Golden State. Right. So what do I do? Well, let's see if we can grind on them. Right. Let's out rebound them and grind on defense. Yeah, I think if you can get the big, long perimeter defenders, you can hassle their shooters. You can out physical their shooters. You can get in their their head. Now, obviously, when they get hot, they're going to shoot. Yeah. So, but you have a better shot. You have a better chance of making them bad shooters than finding shooters to compete with Steph Curry, James Harden, Clay Thompson, and all those guys. Right. Looks like the Pistons. They couldn't stop Jordan. So what they do? They beat him to death. Yeah. Until, you know, finally he just, they out-talented right. Detroit right. eventually. You grind on your opponent, and so it's not a bad strategy. I, I think Utah is a better team in the West. Right. I think uh, Golden State, Houston, Utah, and then may, maybe OKC will be even without um, yeah. uh, without Melo. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I can't even remember the third seed in the West this year. I think the Spurs, even if, well, not, not without Kawhi, but they're... My yeah. point here is, and I'll be honest with you, don't overlook Minnesota. I think they can they can make a run. Yeah, if, if Jimmy Butler he got hurt at the end of last right. year, he, they were a playoff team if he had been right. Healthy. Now there's some chatter that he he he's not happy in Minnesota now. 
So you know, you know, you never know. There's some chair that Kyrie wants to go play in the West now. So Before, we'll see what happens. I want to get to uh, another signing here in a minute. This time with the Golden State Warriors. Yep. Uh, but I think next year is the year that LeBron starts to collect the people around him. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. This year for the Lakers seems like let's obviously we need to land LeBron. Okay. Yes. But I mean, he did sign a four-year contract, which. I don't think he's done since his – I think he signed three in his rookie year right. or maybe one after that. Yep. But he's always been, I'll, I'll sign for a year with a year option, a yes. year with a year option. I think he didn't trust Dan Gilbert, which I wouldn't either. Mm-hmm. I think with the buses and Magic in, in Los Angeles, he's a lot more comfortable with a long-term deal so they can build something maybe. Yep. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's good. I think it's next year because uh, Lillard is going right. to be a free agent. Right. And if Portland were smart, you don't let your free agent get away for nothing. This is this is my out. problem with San Antonio. If if they don't get something for Kawhi now, mm-hmm. don't put it past Kawhi to sit out this year. Agreed. And next year he's going to go to Los Angeles. Yep. So any team that they trade him to, if it's not LA, is, is basically getting a rental player for a year. Exactly. This is what OKC did wrong. I thought, well, well, we'll just be able to keep James Harden. That's what we'll do. Yeah. And then he left. They well, basically we'll, we'll keep Kevin Durant free agency, but you won't zero return. You got to trade those guys. And Kawhi's holding all the cards because mm-hmm. he. He basically sat out the past year anyway. Yes. He, he's not above doing it again. Mm-hmm. He demanded the trade. He wants to go to Los Angeles, obviously. Yep. So why not get some value for him? I would. And this Portland better figure that out with Lillard. They better. Lillard's jetting. Yeah, he's, he's going to L.A. Yep. Once the end of next season. Right. And you give – Lillard might be enough yeah. on that team. Um, to At least to make them the third best team. They're not going to be – even with Lillard – they're not better than Golden State and yeah, Houston. No, Golden State just got boogie. So And so your transition on, is perfect. The other one I wanted to bring up, when you heard that the reigning two to- well, three of the last four years, national uh, I mean NBA champions, signed the best center on the market, how did you react? Well, I thought it was a great move by Golden State, but here's what I didn't know. Okay. DeMarcus Cousins called them. Wow. He's coming off the Achilles. He's he's not gonna get a max deal with anybody, you know. Nope. Until he proves that he's healthy again and all this stuff. So my understanding is he's sitting home, calls his agent and said, look, call Golden State, see if they want me. I love that. He said, I'll take low money. And they signed him for $5.3 million. So when he when he gets signed, I'll tell you, my first reaction is I was hysterical with laughter. Yeah, me too. I couldn't believe it. Because at work, you know, all these guys are Warriors haters. But he, but nobody gives them credit <laughs> for drafting well. Yeah. Yes, Kevin Durant went but, there. But so what? They, LeBron's been bouncing around building yes. teams for years. Also, they won without Durant, by the way. And seventy-three. Say, they games. won through the draft and free agency. They yeah. did not. That was a, a team that accidentally, when no one else took a shot on Draymond Green, they accidentally. Yeah, Draymond went what thirty-seventh in the yeah. draft. Nobody wanted him, and he, and he ended up being better than. Look Lee. at all the guards they picked before Steph Curry in that draft. Yep. Just go back and look at it because yeah. it's in one of the worst draft busts of all time list. I was in hysterical laughter because we like the Warriors, right. and it was just. I, I was also then just bewildered. I said to my roommate. Who just took a pay cut? Did Clay take it? Did, did Durant Here's take it? Here's the answer. It? No one. Well, Cousins Five did. Po- yeah, he, it was, yeah. he took the pay cut to come. 5.3. Yeah. He, he may have not got max money from anybody, but right. he'd gotten a lot more. That's right. And besides that, he's going to obviously have a shot at a championship. He's obviously going to have a shot at rebuilding his stock yeah. in, in the league. But, I mean, if, I mean, good night, man. Why would you not do that? If you want a ring – just even if you're only planning on staying for one year, yeah, fine. Go get yourself a championship ring and move on and make some money. Well, he knows he's going to have to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he knows he's not going to get paid a lot until he proves himself again. Yes. So why not go there? The uh, the Boston Celtics are the other team I wanted to bring up. Um, I feel like if they want to be able to compete with the West, because I think the Celtics are going to win the East next year. Right. Go get Carmelo Anthony. 
Get, get, that, get that guy to give you 25, 30 minutes a game of a scoring punch. Which, Maybe a scoring punch. Because you well, first of all, you know he's not going to play D on anybody. He does not. If he can give you, I don't know, 13, 16 points a game, I think that'd be – I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I've never been a huge Carmelo fan. Now, he has been a fantastic scorer in the league. Oh, yes. I think he may be done. Mm. He just doesn't seem to want to play anymore. Yeah. When I see him on the court, that's my personal opinion. He hasn't said that. That just seems to me like he doesn't want to play. Boston, when they get – Boston intrigues me because yep. when they get Kyrie back and they get uh, the guy who – Gordon Hayward. Thank you. From the first first game of the He's season. He's fantastic. I still think they need one more big piece. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know who that's going to be. You know, they can go after Kawhi. Philadelphia can go after Kawhi, but it's just a rental player. He's not – I don't think he's going to yeah. stay anywhere. He's going to be a clipper eventually. Yeah, he's going to end up in L.A., yeah, and everybody knows it. Um, I I heard I heard tell in the rumor mill <laughs> that he does he specifically does not want to play with LeBron James right that he is uh, he's an alpha and he wants to go play in yeah, a situation I mean, where why he's not the go to the Clippers you can be the alpha you can play in the same building blah 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 yeah you still get the LA lifestyle and the thing is he's bored in San Antonio I think he's obviously a big city kid yep. he wants to go to a big market San Antonio and Greg Popovich are not the place for him nope and I thought they did well together but. I think the time's up. Yeah, stylistically, right. the two just don't match. They don't mesh. Well, since you brought up the Spurs, one more free agency piece of news, and we'll call it. A sad day to see Tony Parker leave San Antonio? Mm, I think it's it's the, it's an end of that era of San Antonio for 20-odd 20, 20 years, 22-odd yeah. years, where they've been very good and in the hunt that whole time. You know, go back to Duncan and Manu Ginobili yep. and Tony Parker. I think It's a little sad for me just because – that's obviously that era is over. Yep. Which ties back to the nineties, which I'm a huge fan of, obviously. Yep. Um, and that was the last vestige of the nineties in the league. To me. Yeah, to me it was the nineties ended with this transition being from Bulls to Spurs. Right. And now with Parker leaving, Ginobili, I think has already retired. Yep. Duncan's already gone. That is the we we've we're end of two eras. Right. Since uh, since we were young, right? You know, and now it's, it's just moved on. All right. Well, thanks for coming in and doing the show. I appreciate. We'll it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.